The scripture reading this morning comes from Numbers 6, 22 through 27. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and to his sons, saying, Thus you shall bless the sons of Israel. You shall say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. So they shall invoke my name on the sons of Israel, and I then will bless them. This is the word of the Lord. It is absolutely true and given to us in love. Good morning. All right, that worked better. So um, just in case, you know, your mind wanders and, and, you know, your eyes close or something like that during the sermon, I will note that um, Michael said in two paragraphs almost everything I'm going to say today. Um, so if you want the, the condensed version, much more poetic, just read the prayer a few times and you'll catch most of it. I got a few odds and ends to add because I got a longer, longer time. Um, and we did not compare notes. Uh, we kind of, we know what the topic is every week and he knows what the passage is. And it's just remarkable how, uh, how much those prayers match what we're going to preach. So Michael, great job. Um, even if you did take all my thunder. We're completing a seven-part sermon series on our liturgy, our worship service. This is it. Although um, I was reminded uh, by Brent that we did not have a section allotted to the announcements. So um, he was volunteering to come up and preach on that for a moment before I got here since they actually precede the benediction. So we will not have that section in case you're looking for that somewhere uh, uh, on the website or something like that. So we've gone through the seven aspects of, of our service Uh, Because we think that the worship service should transform how we live. This isn't just something we do. We don't just get together for fun on Sundays to spend an hour to check it off the list. Um, But but we think this hour that we spend together, or a little bit over an hour, has a huge effect on us. It transforms us. It prepares us to be God's people in the world, to give us the ability to live as followers of Jesus, to practice belief in Jesus. So we have called this series practical transformation. And we started with the call to worship. We're called to find belonging and identity as God's children. And we do this by remembering who God is and who we are, responding in joy and humility. We have a time of confession every week where, uh, with an expression of God's forgiveness. We are each a mess. Uh, we, have each, uh, we each have sin about which we should have godly sorrow, not worldly sorrow, not, oops, I got caught, but truly godly sorrow that we're agreeing with God that our sin is horrible, that it's uh, an affront to him, that we should be ashamed, but we should not feel worthless and have shame because he has bestowed great worth on us through forgiveness through Jesus Christ. And then we pass the peace, and that peace is a gift of God, and we're reconciled to one another. And we're going to come back to peace later because you saw that in the passage today, it talks about peace. We pray for our church, our city, and our world Uh, The needs truly are overwhelming in every part of our lives, individually, uh, as family, as a church, as a world. And prayer unites us with a common purpose, posture, and person. And then we listen to the preaching of the Word. We were reminded that happiness is grounded in the love of God to delight in His Word and law and to meditate on the law. And then finally, we experience a seat at the table of the Lord's Supper. Each of these steps then built to prepare us and transform us for our week. And we come now to the benediction, the final words of our liturgy. 
So a couple of things by way of background before I get to our text. The first thing is the word benediction actually comes from Latin words, two roots. One, mean, one is bene, which means good, like a benefactor is somebody who gives other people uh, support or money. And diction, which of course means a word or saying or expression. The benediction then is the good word. And we've already seen that terminology in our prayer this morning. And we are going to see further how the benediction is indeed a good word from God. And over time, of course, the benediction has become a little more technical. And according to Webster's now is this invocation or a blessing or the short blessing with which we conclude worship, which we'll do today. Now, the blessing that we find in number six, yes, number six, uh, that, that has been read and that we're going to have at the end of our service today is one of several benedictions that we use here at Hope Chapel. You'll recall that they rotate from time to time. But when we do this, with this passage in particular, we share a long tradition in Christian and Jewish worship. The blessing in number six was given to God to give, by, to, sorry, given by God to Moses to give to Aaron to bless the children of Israel. And archaeologically, evidence has actually been found of it written on a scroll as far back as the sixth century BC. So today, when we share the benediction, when the benediction is given to us by Todd or Daniel, I'm not sure who's going to end our service today, um, but when that's given, we are sharing in 2,500 years of proven use. I think that's just incredibly spectacular and and really uh, is a testimony to God's faithfulness as these words continue to be used. So what do we want to discover today? We want to discover three things. What is the blessing of God? What comes from the blessing of God or what results from the blessing of God? And what do we do with the blessing of God? The first line of the blessing, the Lord bless you and keep you. Oh, what is a blessing anyway? We usually think it's the thing right before you eat, right? That's actually not a blessing. That's not a biblical blessing. That's a thanksgiving, all right? I'm not quite sure why we call that a blessing. You'll see what I mean shortly. But what does the pastor mean when he asks the Lord to bless us? What is a biblical blessing? I'm going to tell you that you had a great example of this if you were here two weeks ago when Daniel and Andrea spoke a blessing over Jack, okay? I was sitting in the back, and Annette had no idea what was going on. I saw some pulling out my phone, just taking notes like crazy because I've been preparing for this sermon, sermon, and I listened to Daniel and he and Andrea, and it was exactly a biblical blessing. What did they do? They spoke words of delight, over what they had already experienced in a few short weeks and months with Jack. And then they committed themselves to his good for, and asked that God through them and us would lead Jack to that which gives them the most delight and meaning in life, which is becoming a follower of Jesus. That is a biblical blessing. And that's not exactly what we do before a, uh, a meal. So Daniel and Andrea, though, didn't just think this up. They didn't just think, well, we'll say this. This will be a good idea. This is the biblical model of blessing. Expressions of delight and commitment to good. And the most common place that you see a blessing actually being given in the Bible is not so much at a baptism, um, but it's near a person's death. You see the children gather around the father toward the end. The father expresses their delight in their children and his children. And then he divides his property and bestows it on his children in order for them to prosper. He commits all he has to their good. You can find examples of this, and Jacob blesses his son in Genesis 49, and really when Moses blesses the entire children of Israel in Deuteronomy 33. All right, so what does the pastor 
uh, well, in, in saying uh, this blessing over us, is, is the pastor just kind of hoping he can make this happen? Is it, is it somehow that he can make God bless us? Well, of course not, all right? As is true really through the whole liturgy, the people leading worship are simply stating to you what is already true. As we start to close the worship service every week, then the pastor is telling us, God delights in you as a follower of him. And God is committed to you. We've been through this whole liturgy. We've been called. We have confessed. We've received forgiveness. We have passed the peace. We have prayed. We have listened. We have eaten. And now God says, as we head out to our week, I delight in you and commit myself to you for your good. Stop for a moment and think about that. God is saying to those who follow Jesus, I delight in you. This is exactly what we need to hear. It's exactly what we need to hear. We're repeatedly told by many that the road to happiness is to be self-sufficient, to recognize your own worth and not worry about what others think of you, to be independent and king of your own kingdom. There's a big problem with that. It's not true. I don't think anybody can really do that. The reality is, as was said in the prayer, we're all desperate for approval and recognition of others. Why are we so desperate for approval and recognition from others? Well, this may sound strange, but I actually think it's because we're made in the image of God. God is the one in three. He is whole in himself. We're the one in one. We're not whole. In order to be complete, we have to have others. And more commonly, we put it that we are social beings and we need to be in community with others, and that's true. But this is not a sign of weakness. It's simply a sign that we're incomplete. We need to be recognized by others. We want to know that they know we're here. We want to know that they approve, that we are of some value to someone. Because without that, we are incomplete. Now, I find it really interesting that even secular organizations and I do part of my work with Cone Health. Um, we have this whole system to recognize people. Yet we're all told that we're not supposed to worry about what other people say about us, right? Yeah, but we have this whole system so we can recognize people. So we can approve them, cheer them on. And leaders and employees are given these tools to, to really do it easily. We're actually reminded to do it, which is kind of ironic if you think about it. And why do they do that? Why do companies spend time and money doing this? Because they know it's important. They know we all need recognition and approval. And note, even in the Godhead, the complete one in three, there are expressions of approval. In both his baptism and in his transfiguration, Jesus and others, here the Father tells Jesus, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. If expressions of approval are found in the completeness of the Godhead, then our desire to hear approval from others cannot be a sign of weakness, but actually a sign that we are, uh, a sign that we're human, that we're made in the image of God. But as, again, Michael pointed out in his prayer, we often look for this approval and this recognition in the wrong places, from the wrong people and in the wrong ways. So we get exploited or we exploit others. So the blessing of God is his delight and his commitment to us. 
And this blessing gives us the approval we so desperately need. It reflects the delight that God has as he looks upon us. It reflects his commitment to us. And this approval is not temporary. It is not conditional. It makes us complete. It is a good word. What results from the blessing of God? The next two verses state, The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. Now we all know that the Bible teaches that God is literally present everywhere. You cannot hide from God. But when it comes to his people, the nation of Israel in the Old Testament, and followers of Jesus in the New Testament, God is present in a special way. And one way this presence is expressed in Scripture is to speak of the face of God. The face of God can be toward his people in some way, as we have in our passage today, or alternatively, not so good. The face of God can be turned away, as in 2 Chronicles 30, or hidden, as in Isaiah 59 and Psalm 22. Or even God can set his face against someone. Ooh, that doesn't sound good. Ezekiel 14. But when the face of God is toward us, it is a description of God's personal, relational presence with his people. God is with us in a very personal way. So Monday night, I went out to dinner with seven other docs. Four of them uh, uh, report to me, and three of them are uh, in a sister organization. We were just getting together to get to know each other. And you know what? I was present to all of them the whole time. But when I turned to talk to the person next to me, I was with them in a more personal, relational way. And so that's the image you should have when you think about God being omnipresent, but also God being relationally present to you. He's turning his face toward you. Now, some of you might be thinking this might not be very good, all right? Because didn't Moses hear on Mount Sinai from God, you cannot see my face for no man can see me and live. Didn't Isaiah say, woe to me, my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Maybe we don't want to see the face of God. How is it then that we can be in a relational presence of God without being consumed ourselves due to our sin? And of course, the answer is grace. And we see that described at the end of verse 25. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. God extends his personal relational presence to us and with us and is with us only because his grace, which was brought about by the life, death and resurrection of Jesus. And that's why I said a few minutes ago, the blessing of God is not conditional. It is not conditional on how good you've been. It is not conditional on what you do in your life. It's not conditional on what evil you've avoided. It's conditional on whether you believe in Jesus and have accepted his grace. It's a statement of grace bestowed on God's people because of Jesus' sacrifice. So at the end of every service, every week, the pastor is reminding us, that God will personally, relationally be present with us and God's grace will accompany us during the coming days. And that is a good word. Now, earlier, I said we wanted to all have approval. But there's something else we all desperately want. Again, Michael pointed it out in, in the sermon. In this busy, chaotic, overwhelming world, we want peace. Don't we want peace? We want peace between nations. We want peace between politicians. We want peace where we work. 
We want peace in our homes, but we don't often get it, and we don't hardly ever see it. Todd talked about peace a few weeks ago. He called it the shalom of God. It is completeness, unity, well-being, health, security, wholeness. And, of course, we're not going to see complete peace until we're with Jesus. But can we dare think, can we dare think that we might experience some part of the peace of God in the midst of the insanity around us? Can we dare to think that? Verse 26, the Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. The word countenance here in verse 26 is actually the same word translated as face in verse 25. And if you look up countenance, the most common definition is face. So were they just trying to use a different word? Well, there's another definition of countenance, which I really think is cool, because the other definition of countenance is support, backing, approval, endorsement, assistance. So both definitions fit so beautifully in this word. God's countenance lifted up toward us is his face, his relational presence. And his countenance lifted up toward us is his support, assistance, and approval that we so desperately need. So we can dare to experience a measure of the peace of God when we spend time in his presence and reflect on his delight in and approval of us through Jesus. You take time to do that? Will you take time to do that? A couple of sobering thoughts in my own life. I have to admit that I often regard my devotional time, my daily personal time with God, as just another thing to check off my list. Unfortunately, I love to check off lists. That's a problem, all right? I don't have it on my list to do, for that reason, actually. But... Nevertheless, I often admit that I feel like I got to get through that time so I can get started with my life. Boy, that's ironic, isn't it? Peace and life are found in the personal presence of God, and I'm trying to think I got to get through this so I can get on with my life. This is crazy. Second, I realized that I used to try to remind myself daily about this delight and approval on a daily basis. And so yesterday, I, I just, something came back in my head, and I went back and found a sermon I preached 10 years ago when we were at Lindley Elementary. In it, I challenged you and me to start each day with these words. I am acceptable to God on the basis of the work of Jesus, his life, death, and resurrection, and nothing else. I am already approved by God, in fact, pursued and beloved by God, the creator of the universe. My satisfaction can only be found in God. This is nothing more or less than the blessing of God. Delight and commitment. I printed them. I had them on my desk for years. The words faded. I ignored them. I forgot them. I threw it away. Why am I so dumb? Why am I so forgetful of what God has done, is doing, and will do? So this week... I challenge you to start each day in the presence of God, reminding yourself and his delight in you. I'm going to do that too. Let that wash over you, dwell in it, bask in it, enjoy his peace. That's how you're going to do it. Enjoy his peace, even if only for a few minutes. I did that yesterday morning and this morning, and boy, was it good. It was refreshing. It was life-giving. The blessing of God is a good word. 
The final verse this morning is, so they will, they shall invoke my name on the sons of Israel and I, I will, and boy, and then will I bless them or I will then, I can't read. I then will bless them. There we go. The blessing of God expresses his delight in and approval of us. We've talked about that. The blessing of God is an expression of his commitment to us, reminding us of his grace and giving us an opportunity to enjoy his peace. And here it does something else. It gives us an identity. The word invoke here is the word for place or put or set. Through the blessing, then, God is setting his name on his people. What does that mean? Well, many of you, many of you, have adopted children over the years. And I thank you for doing so. But ponder for a moment what happens when a child is adopted into a family. They get an identity, a new name, at least a new family name. They get solidarity. They're supported. They get accountability. They represent the family and can't live any old way they want to. They get security. They can't be fired or thrown out. And they get intimacy. They're no longer, they are no longer alone. That's what it means when God's name is, invo- is invoked or set or placed upon us. Those who follow Jesus are adopted. Now, there's several things that have to happen for a person to become a follower of Jesus. Theologians talk about this, and they, they call it the order of salvation, or because they want to sound even fancier, they call it the ordu salutis, all right? A person has to be called, a person has to hear the gospel. They have to be regenerated. Remember, we're, we were dead in our trespasses and sins, and dead people don't hear things, so we have to be made spiritually alive. We're converted, and therein we have these twin experiences of repentance and faith. You can't have one without the other. And at that point, we declare that one is justified, made right before God. And then as a follower of Jesus lives out their life here on earth, the believer enjoys sanctification, which is becoming more like Jesus, and adoption, which is becoming a member of God's family. And then finally, as one perseveres to the end, there is glorification with Jesus. Now, over the years, I have heard any number of sermons and debates over the Ordu Salutis, but not very many on adoption. It's kind of interesting. Don't hear a lot about that. I don't have time to say much about it, and I was talking with Todd earlier today. I I get a freebie sermon in December, which is not in a, a series, and Todd said, preach on what you want. I'm, I hate it when he says that. You heard me, you've heard me say that before. I hate it when he tells me that because I don't know what to preach on. But I'm preaching on adoption, all right? And so we've agreed to, that's what I'm going to preach on. But today, though, let me just say that, that one of the first things that happens after we believe in Jesus is that the alienation from God that our sin has caused is removed. And again, we become members of his family. And that's, in a sense, another way of saying that grace allows us to enjoy the personal relational presence of God. But isn't it more than that? It's not, a, it's not just a like, you know, for a couple of minutes a day. I mean, you're, you're, the, you're in the family. That's 24 hours a day. And the result, of course, is that we call God Abba, Father. And what a privilege that is and how different from the view of God of the religious leaders of Jesus' day who are offended by Jesus calling God Father. The blessing that Moses was told to teach Aaron puts the name of God on the Israelites And the pastor invokes God's name on us as well. It defines us as a people, as the adopted children of God. It's a good word. Now, 
The result of the blessing of God, which is this reminder of grace, this experience of peace, the joy of adoption, what's the result of it? Well, again, first things first, let's be sure we experience it. Remember that request, start each day in the presence of God, reminding yourself of his delight in you and his commitment to your welfare. But then we need to bless others. We need to bless others, first in your family, your biological family, or your church family, or both, and then the world. Many years ago, Todd and I used to meet at IHOP every so often. Remember the blue, the blue roofed one there that was uh, near Women's Hospital? I think I got a lot of free counseling there. I'm not quite sure why he, he gave that away to me so freely, and I appreciate it. He even bought breakfast most of the time, which was really cool. Okay. I remember asking him one time whether I could give him some letters that I would want read at my funeral. These would be letters for my two boys and for Nanette. He asked me what I would want to say. I told him that I wanted to pronounce a blessing on them, to tell them and others how much I loved them, how much I delighted in them, and how much they had done for me. And he said, why wait? Go ahead and tell them now. And that was good advice. I did, and I do tell them from time to time, probably not as often as I need to. But there's probably nothing a person, young or old, needs more than to hear from their spouse or their parent that they delight in them and they're committed to them. And for those of you who are single and don't have parents anymore and don't have children, then we delight in you and we're committed to your welfare as well. Who do you need to bless in your biological family or church family? To whom do you need to express delight and commitment? And we need to bless others in the world. Uh, I don't know if you've noticed, but often, especially, uh, especially Daniel, as he closes here at uh, Hope Chapel, he'll say the benediction is ascending. We're sent, being sent out. Um, and, and what are we being sent out to do anyway? All right. Well, we often think we're being sent out to be salt and light, and that's true. But I think to some degree that actually emphasizes our differences with the world. All right. Not, not so much the way we're the same. But we're also being sent, now I understand, to bless others, to find delight in them, to find ways to approve others, to compliment others. Tim Keller notes that whether a person is a believer or not, you can likely find something in them that is a fruit, a gift, or a sacrifice. Now, these are typically thought, or certainly to me, as biblical categories, but they actually have secular analogies. A fruit is some small way in which a person is growing or making progress in their life. A gift means that they have a talent or an ability that maybe other people don't really appreciate. And a sacrifice is an area in which a person is working hard and making sacrifices that others may not see. You can probably find a fruit, gift, or sacrifice in almost everybody to express delight in. Keller also notes that C.S. Lewis stated that a person who habitually praises and compliments and affirms a person is a person filled with inner health. And a person who is always finding fault and criticizing everybody is the opposite. Oh boy. Do we see that today or what? 
Now, interestingly, I came across an article last week written in all places, not, not a website I go to, honestly, but I, get, uh, I, I subscribe to a service that sends me interesting